The Forum at 8 on SAFM. Good morning and thanks for staying with us today. I'm Darshan Murthy. Appreciate your time on the forum today. Today we're beaming to you live from the Alan Gray Auditorium at the VNA Waterfront in Cape Town. That's because we're on the forum today today, unpacking the Finance Minister Praveen Gordon's fifth budget speech. It's a tough global climate. South Africans are battling weak economic growth, interest rate hikes, price increases and a weakening rand. In our discussion today, we're examining what this year's budget means for you and the country at large. I'd like to know from you, though, what score would you give the minister's budget on this? How did he address your biggest concerns in the 2014 budget speech? You remember yesterday we asked you about your expectations. Many of you wrote in to tell us what you were hoping for the minister to deliver in his budget announcement yesterday. Did he deliver the goods? What score would you give him out of 10, or would you like to give him a letter figure, an A, a B, a symbol? Uh, do tell us on SMS 34701. You can call us on the show as well. 891 Tweet or Facebook the show AM Live on SAFM. Email right now amlive at safm.co.za. And following in his own words from the mini budget speech last year, can the vulnerable and disadvantaged say that this is a budget that works for me? That's the question I'm putting to you this morning. On the panel, I'm joined by the Minister of Finance, Praveen Gordon. Good morning, Minister. Looking forward to our discussion with you today. Good morning. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you're looking forward to hearing from our listeners as well. Absolutely. And uh, we're inviting you to do write in those SMSs, questions, Facebook comments, and give us a call today. On the panel as well, Brian, Professor Brian Cantor is the Chief Economist and Investment Strategist with Investment. Prof, good morning. Investing. Morning. Good, good morning. to be here. Thank you. And you have a very special relationship with where we're broadcasting from, the VNA Waterfront, our broadcast venue. Yes. Well, thanks for mentioning that. But uh, I wasn't responsible for this building. I exited as chairman of the Waterfront Company in 2001. So... Well, it's very pleasing to see these developments, yes. Well, the founding chairman of uh, the VNA Waterfront Limited, uh, leading the redevelopment of the Cape Town Waterfront uh, between 1988 and 2001. Asif Mohammed also joining me on the panel, the Director and Chief Investment Officer of Aon Investment Management, a company that you founded back in 2005, Asif. That's right, yes, but I'm also here in my capacity as, uh, you know, representing the Black Business Council and AFSIP Association of Black Securities Investment Professionals. I think we, I also want to mention that you also sit as uh, on a charity. It's called the SA National Zakat Fund, which spends over 80 million rand a year on, on uplifting the poor. Is that right? That's right. It's a faith-based charity and it's a national charity and one of the key focuses is also on education and I champion the education bit of it, um, bursaries for the, the disadvantaged, advantaged and the needy. Mm. And I'm sure you want to touch on what the Minister mentioned in terms of Islamic banking yesterday, new uh, groundbreaking work they made by the SA government. Yes, that's right. I'm also joined on the panel by uh, Ramiz Flowers, an unemployed economics graduate. Ramiz, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. Ramiz, I'm very interested in hearing what your take is on this, because unemployed South Africans, 24.1% of us out there unemployed today. You're an economics postgraduate, so your, your take on this budget would be very crucial today. Many other South Africans, I'm sure, would, would love to hear from you. I, I, I hope my input would actually do some justice. So looking forward to today. So give us a call, 891 uh, I'd like to start with you, Prof, uh, if I may. What, what tone did you think the minister set yesterday during the budget speech? I think it was a, a confident tone, trying to impress upon the world, as well as South Africans, that uh, the South African economy is in good shape, reasonable shape, which it is, 
and that fiscal policy is appropriately uh, conservative and uh, real, realistic and uh, well, you know, we're being properly managed. Asif, would you, would you agree to that, this, this good news story that uh, the Minister and both the President reiterated during the uh, State of the Nation address? Yes, I would agree, agree with it, uh, considering it's, it's a stable budget, a budget, it's a balanced budget, but also, more importantly, it's a budget that's, you know, after about four or five years of the worst global financial crisis we've had, uh, we've managed to come through that. It's been a difficult period, and South Africa has done really well globally relative to a lot of un- other countries. Obviously, it can do more, uh, and it's potential for doing more, doing more, and I think here business, together with the Labour and government, can, can work on it going forward. Ramiz, I'd like to get your input on this. Minister, I do want to engage with you. I know sometimes protocol would dictate that we start the show with you, but I wanted to find out the reaction because you had your chance yesterday. I want to get you to respond to what these gentlemen have to say. Ramiz Flowers, an unemployed economics graduate. You've got a postgraduate degree in economics, is that right? Yes. And still finding it hard in this economy to get a job. Did anything that the minister say yesterday offer you a glimmer of hope? I think that one, of the, one of the reasons why I haven't... I've been struggling is because firms, because of experience, because I, I have very little experience, and that's where the youth wage subsidy would obviously do a lot. But it's not only because it's more as to do with the, the structural uh, challenges of the economy. It's, it's not just about providing incentives for everyone. You have, you have to have a strong base for, for so you can build a domestic. Uh, productive capacity. Minister, there's been wide-ranging reaction, not just from, from the panelists here. The Democratic Alliance, for example, yesterday said, you were not brave enough. You didn't push hard enough. You made too many concessions in this budget. How would you respond to them and others? Coke, for example, also said you weren't brave enough in this budget. Well, you know, uh, we, we're heading for elections. And electioneering has started. Um, so let, let's first look at uh, the descriptive words that my colleagues on the panel have used. Uh, that it's stable, it's properly managed, it's confident, uh, that we're in reasonable shape, and that the fiscus is, uh, in, in, in real, is handled in a realistic way. And for us, I think that's the important thing. Those who are not in government certainly have the freedom to... Uh, elaborate ideas and to think about alternatives, which we welcome. Uh, but in my experience in five years in this job, plus minus, is that very re- little realistic comes out of uh, the DA spokespeople on this particular question uh, to address the real issues of South Africa. I think uh, the proof of the pudding is in the eating. Uh, the numbers and the commentary demonstrate that uh, this government has managed the recession well, has responded adequately, has got the recovery going. And uh, as we point out in the speech, it's, it's, it's time now to move beyond that, to exercise our options in terms of the NDP. The details are in this book called The Budget Review, page 4. Uh, of the first chapter, which, you, which has been my Bible uh, for most uh, years, is, is the exhaustive uh, explanation that we're moving from ideas to actual implementation. And uh, I, I think Professor, Professor Cantor's description is, is the more appropriate one, that ours is a realistic grasp and a pragmatic grasp of, of the fiscus. It's not about conservatism or 
uh, or, or recklessness. And we can't afford to be reckless. Not when we're owing 1.3 trillion rands to debtors all over the world and here. But more importantly, where we have the responsibility in the next few years to narrow our fiscal deficit, create more fiscal space, uh, reduce the amount of interest that we're paying on our debt so we have more money available to do the things we want to do. You, uh, you say opposition politics right now is that it's frenzy because the May 7th election is coming up, so perhaps they wanted to set a, a political tone to your speech, but did you not do the same yesterday? Was there no political tone uh, to what you delivered in Parliament when you reiterated the President's comments about this being a good story to tell for South Africa, taking credit for the past 20 years of development in the country? Well, the, the, the past 20 years speak for themselves. It's not just... Uh, and, and what we are quite magnanimous about as the ANC is that this is uh, the achievement of us as a people, not just the ANC, uh, that to overcome the legacies of... Uh, Something that we mostly like to forget today, that is what apartheid did to all of us, uh, particularly black people in South Africa, uh, and the legacy of which still sticks around, not as an excuse, but as a reality. Uh, that the, the successes of 20 years coming from conservative think tanks to business think tanks to government research itself, all of those numbers are verified. And uh, we should celebrate these successes, and not on a party political basis. Well, let's see what are the important elements for us to discuss, and I'm going to put that through to each of our panelists. What do you think are the most important issues we need to pick apart from this budget, the most salient issues, the ones that South Africans, if there are motorists right now out there on the roads, what they need to know about petrol price increases, if you're a drinker, if you like your alcohol and, and your cigarettes, what you're going to be faced on sin taxes, but the broader issues as well. If you pay tax, 15 million of us registered, according to the minister, very proudly declaring that the tax base has included every one who works in this economy. So if you're a taxpayer, um, if, you're, if you're a parent out there paying school fees, what do you want to know? These are some of the issues that we want to tackle on today. So, Prof, I'd like to start with you. What would you like to touch on as the most salient or most important elements of the budget today? Well, uh, the, the big issue for South Africa, we, we, we've done okay, but the, we'd all agree that the economy has to grow faster at least 5% a year, if it's to meet the aspirations of all of us. So, including, including the Treasury, that depends for its revenue on the, on the economy, and the faster the economy grows, the more revenue they'll collect. I think the impression I get is, yes, we're strong, we've gathered revenue at an extraordinarily rapid rate. In fact, over the next year, revenue expected to rise by another 10%. So, Government actually is not short of money. It's it, it not short of resources, to put it in a, a more accurate way. The, the issue for government, the issue for the society, the issue for in the election is how do we get better use of that money? Well, delivery. It's, it's delivery is the issue. It's not money. The economy delivers revenue for the government. How well do they use that? Mr. Mohammed, I mean, is, is that a fair comment? Because we, we still borrow, so I, I don't know if we've got as much money as, as the prof would like to claim. We, we still borrow. There's still a budget deficit, uh, about 4%. Y yes, that's right. And, and I don't think that's a problem per se, that the fact that we're borrowing. In the, in, 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 that, that's not the issue. The issue really is, I think, 
you know, there's a lot of good ideas, a lot of po- good policy statements, a lot of good um, implements. The issue really is, as Professor Cantor said, and then put it a different way, is the effective, effective, uh, effective and efficient implementation of these policies. It's the good spending. You know, I don't think, you know, teaching budget, the education budget, is, it's good, it's been increased, but it's the effective implementation thereof whether it's infrastructure spend or whatever. You asked earlier on what is, you know, what, what's important. The other thing is small business creation. If government and business can focus and work together with business on small business creation, because we know they are the, the, the entities that are most likely going to create jobs. We know that we're going to, if we're going to spend a lot of money on it, on let's say 100 entrepreneurs, maybe 70 will fail, but the other 30 will possibly go on and, and succeed. And, but they will possibly create... 35 jobs each per, per, per business on average. So, so it's the effective and efficient implementation of policy. Um, there's a lot of good ideas. And it's, it's also the implementation of the NDP. And the minister has made it very clear. The next three years, it's all about implementation of the national development. But also oversight. Isn't that also a critical issue? We, we can't just be implementing without monitoring it, Professor Kenton. Yes, yes, of course. Uh, we need performance uh, evaluation, particularly in education. Mm. We, there's a, an idea abroad, the U.S., that says if you can, get, if you can sack the worst 20% of your teachers because they fail to perform, your educational output will improve significantly. And we're not able to do that in South Africa. The, the unions control uh, the, the teachers, not, not the government. And I think that's one of the... And, and we spend great, great uh, uh, sums of money collected from the taxpayers... And the taxpayer uh, collecting taxes doesn't help growth. In, if anything, it slows growth down. Ramiz Flowers, I mean, as, as someone who most recently exited the education system, I'm not sure if you still plan to do more postgraduate studies, but as someone who was most recently at the University of Higher Education, do you find that the, the money that government dedicates, it's the largest slice of our budget, right? Let's just first say that at all. The largest slice of our budget goes towards education. Do you think it's being well spent, I mean, from what you see? I think we should um, make, we should focus on. I find that in some areas we focus too much on providing equal, um, equality of education instead of equality. Uh, I mean, qu- equality of education for all instead of just the quality. The quality of, uh, of mm. education. It's more. It's more of quantity. Now, instead of quality... We're trying to spread the base so that all South Africans have access to education instead of improving the quality of it. Uh, Prof, I know you want to engage on this, but I want to give the Minister a chance to respond. Uh, We've started, I guess, just looking into education, and I guess both of our guests, uh, all all of our panellists, in fact, have raised this issue of education. I'd like to add to it. Our budget allocation to local government is just sitting at 9% of available funds. In light of the protests and demands for service delivery around the country, was that enough? And in terms of education, is that going to meet the needs of our people? Well, let me firstly uh, agree with Professor Canto on we've, we've done okay. Uh, we do need to grow faster. We all agreed on that. The only question is that we have different paradigms within which we see growth happening. And uh, some of them are linked to different uh, philosophies. Uh, And it will be useful for the public to understand what those are and and where do uh, we as government come from on this question. But I'm not going to go into it now. Secondly, it's also correct to say that uh, collecting revenue is fine. And in fact, if you look at uh, the speech yesterday and the budget review, 
you'll find the following. We do say that we need to improve the quality of public services and cut waste. It's in the speech, it's written, go on to the website. My neighbor can actually see it on the piece of paper in front of me. But papers don't carry any weight. No, 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 no. Hold on a minute. Hold on a minute. <laughs> We're not writing papers for the sake of papers. What I'm saying is that this is government's commitment mm. that we want to improve the quality of public services. How? So we've mentioned education. What we are undertaking at the moment is what we call expenditure reviews in about three areas. Education is one of them. Expenditure reviews are done over three to six months or more. They actually take uh, a deep cut into the expenditure and they ask the question, are we getting value for money for the 250-odd billion that, that we are spending? The first results will start coming through shortly and both the Treasury and the Department of Performance Monitor uh, Monitoring and Evaluation We'll then make recommendations to the next administration on how we do things differently. So this is a government initiative which says let's, let's look at uh, the question of reviews. On the question of wastage, I think we spelled out yesterday the forensic uh, uh, reviews that we are doing as well. We gave examples of uh, the private sector which, from which we lease property for government officers. Mm -hmm abusing government. And, and you get and, quite and a stern rebuke to those uh, private yes, property owners so out there. Let's, let's remember that. Yeah. We also said that uh, we want to start uh, taking a very different approach to the big cost items in, in our expenditure. So whether it's new locomotives or new coaches or new uh, aircraft or new medical equipment, scanners for example, at the moment we don't necessarily get best value for money. And so we're going to set up better systems, better benchmarks, and independent uh, oversight, including civil society, so that we have better accountability for the public money that, that, that we actually spend. Um, and I think that this is very important to keep raising the, the question uh, of, of, of quality and uh, value for money. But at a certain stage in South Africa, it was important to give people access. So get, giving access was an important phase in the development. Our next phase now is to start focusing, as many of you correctly point out, on quality. Mm. Uh, because if you have few people accessing, for example, health services or education, and then focus on quality for the few, then you have the many that are excluded out of, out of the system. So I think our success over the last 20 years has been on the access front, and there's no doubt. So if you hear my colleague... Minister Motswaledi, in relation to plans for the National Health Insurance Scheme, uh, what's the first priority? The first priority is improvement in public health care uh, delivery, the quality of that health care. You can't have a new NHI without the quality of health care for ordinary South Africans uh, being upgraded on the one hand, and the second pillar of his plan is to reduce the costs of private health care in South Africa, uh, where in his view and the view of many other studies, those are exorbitant charges that all of us pay, uh, that can afford to pay uh, those, those costs. Mr. Mohammed, your brow looks heavy. Is that because uh, you're just thinking, how are we going to implement this again? Is there enough in it so that we turn paper into concrete? I think there's enough in it. We've got 20 years of experience, and government has... I think there's enough in it, and government has been, you know, as the minister's clearly said, you know, putting in benchmarks, putting in oversight there. Um, and that has been happening, and you've seen a steady improvement. Anecdotally, I've seen already in from grade uh, 1 to grade 3, uh, teachers are telling me that, that things are changing there for the better. And it's a journey. It's not going to happen overnight. 
But coming back again to the whole business of small business creation, the minister has in his budget speech given direct incentives for small businesses, and he has done that over a number of years. So to business now to come forward and to actually create small businesses, to encourage you know, the use of small businesses, it's a very important job creator going forward. The, the important thing is, is that government should set a target, let's say a million small businesses in five years' time, and benchmarks along the way every year, and, and someone must be accountable or minister must be accountable for that. And I think it's a big opportunity, and, and we've got the resources and the wherewithal to be able to do that with, with everybody working together. Well, we'll return to our panellists. It's 8.30, so we will get back to our panellists right after this. Uh, do write in, and uh, your SMSs can be sent to this number, 34701. Tweet or Facebook us right now. We are tweeting pictures from this venue as well. AM Live on SAFM. You can see our panel of guests if you do follow us on Twitter. We're reaching well over 10,000 people right now, so help us uh, get to our next uh, landmark on uh, Twitter. We're trying to reach up to 100,000 of you out there, so uh, let's try and uh, push through on Twitter if you'd like to join us. AM Live on SAFM. Remember, give us a call. We'll take more of your calls uh, right after this. I haven't had, had a chance to engage with you, so we do want to do that. Uh, 0891-104-208. Uh, you can call in right after your news headlines. Now, with Vibakshini Chetty. And coming up after the show, Rowena Bird on Morning Talk. What's on the show today, Rowena? Good morning, Dash, and thank you very much. Coming up on Morning Talk uh, this morning, in the first hour, we're going to find out more about gender-based violence in South Africa 20 years into our democracy. Has the scourge increased or has it decreased? We'll get more facts. We'll get the trends and statistics when we speak to Lisa Vetten, who has, over the years, worked tirelessly for this issue to constantly be on the national agenda. And obviously, we'll be taking Taking comments, questions, calls and SMSs on that. We're going to get some analysis uh, as well on Finance Minister Pravin Gordon's budget speech in a, in a comprehensive uh, um, or maybe comprehensible way that you and I and the man and woman on the street can understand. How does it affect my purse? Do I have more money in my purse or not? We'll talk about that just after uh, the news at 10. And after that we'll talk about the Ned Bank and Old Mutual Budget Speech Competition. It's in its 43rd year. We'll find out how it has progressed over the years and if it has in any way assimilated uh, different objectives from when it was first launched in 1972. We'll also get to talk to two of the winners of this competition. And then finally, we'll talk about youth unemployment and what emerged from Pravin Gordon's speech yesterday. That's morning talk for today. Very budgety. Thank you, Darshan. The Forum at 8 on SAFM. Just going on to 25 minutes to 9. Welcome back to the Forum at 8. We're broadcasting live from the V&A waterfront here at the Alan Gray Auditorium. A beautiful green building. We need to talk about green issues as well. Uh, the Minister of Finance yesterday talking about the carbon tax, delaying that carbon tax uh, to 2019. Why did he decide to do so? We'll find out from him this morning. Some, an SMS that came in this morning from Bilkish saying uh, the Gogos and the pensioners are going to be much happier today. Let's talk a little bit about social grants, uh, social welfare grants going up. Minister, do you think we're deeply entrenching ourselves into a position of being the nanny state, as some would argue, where we're, we're protecting people from their own shadows, you know, as the critics would say, or is this a government that is acting responsibly, dealing with a deeply unequal society? What do you think? Well, I would, I would assume the latter is your answer. No, no, what do you think? Well, I believe that we're a deeply divided society. 
And I believe that we need so yeah, I, I think but it's, I it's a balanced I, approach I, as well. I think we must stop this narrative, which is uh, about nanny states. Mm. I think that's very disrespectful of millions of poor people in this country. Do we want to be part of a middle and upper class that just says, poor, you can eat uh, what did, uh, bread, bread eh? uh, or eat cake. Eat cake, bread. Right. Marie Antoinette. Yes. To, uh, to uh, no, I, I think that Let people uh, in the media, like yourself, need to be more responsible when we're addressing millions of poor people in this country. Uh, as far as we are concerned in government, we have a responsibility to make sure that whether you are uh, aged, whether you're looking after foster uh, uh, children uh, or uh, children under the age of 18, when you have uh, very few opportunities to uh, develop yourself uh, that and, and, and uh, an inadequate uh, support in terms of income, that the state has a responsibility to look after them. The question is, is this happening on an unsustainable basis? No, it isn't. The next question is, is it going to be unsustainable over the next 10 or 20 years? We've got studies which prove that they're not. Um, are we maintaining the right balance? Absolutely. The balance is 57% of our non-interest ex or rather consolidated expenditure goes to the social wage, which consists of housing, education, health, transport, public transport, and uh, social grants. And uh, that's a very necessary component. And on the flip side is the budget review is full of support for business in one form or another. And uh, that's the balance that I think is appropriate for our society. Well, Prof, can we keep affording these uh, social welfare grants going up? I mean, the, the minister says we shouldn't be asking in the way that we ask these questions because it's offensive to those who, yes. who are out there who may see that this is a budget that's responding to them and why would we call it a nanny state? But we need to deal with the critics out there in order for them to perhaps move to your position, Minister, if, if that's what we want to do in a, in a democratic dispensation. Prof, can I, I, I mean, I'm going to pose the same question to you. Well, we we can afford it. We are affording it. We collect taxes uh, to pay for it. They have consequences. So collecting taxes is a burden on those who, who pay it, who pay it willingly. Uh, there are consequences that really of these uh, support programs uh, that one really needs to recognize. Uh, one of the consequences is it raises the, uh, what you might call the reservation wage, particularly in the rural areas, the, the wage at which it really becomes uh, uh, proper or uh, understandable to, to work or to migrate towards the cities where, where work might be available. So I think one of the uh, areas which we have to think hard about is to make more of the support uh, consequential on behavior. In other words, if you uh, seek work then uh, in an active way, well, then you collect a, a, a benefit. But, but, but that, those, those are the, the issues, the unintended consequences and what, and what we might be able to do to actually improve the system. I like the idea of paying people cash. It helps them directly. It's an inexpensive way of helping the poor. When you, when you give them benefits in kind, you're relying on a whole delivery system that may well uh, prove very expensive uh, and, and, and very difficult to, to implement. So, so yes, I, I, I agree, but I just I, I add those those points. Uh, the increase was about five percent, I think, incidentally. Just it's a, these benefits, as we see them, are, infla are inflation linked. 
Yeah. Minister, I, I saw you nodding along when uh, Prof was saying we need to link the social welfare grant system to behavior. What do you think that means? Well, in the first instance, I want to agree with the Prof uh, that uh, we, we can afford it. Uh, we are collecting taxes, but we also need to nurture as part of that democratic society that you talk of, a society that cares, a society that shares, and where Given where we come from, a society that agrees we need to redistribute. That's what a tax system is there for. Secondly, yes, there are some uh, undesirable consequences, and we need to constantly innovate in that area so that once we spot the undesirable uh, consequences, we, we find uh, an appropriate way of dealing with them, including some of the behavioral changes uh, that the prof is talking about. In some countries, there are conditionalities. You get a a grant, but your child must be vaccinated, you, you get a grant, your child must be at school, and South Africans need to consider whether that's the appropriate next step for, for ourselves as well. Uh, but let's cover this area. There was a local government question that you raised earlier on that we must get back to. Yes, I, I, I do want to get back to that question. We've got callers holding on the line as well, so I want to get to them. Perhaps they'll raise this issue that I raised earlier on about service delivery protests and how much of the money actually goes to where the service delivery protests occur against the municipality. As if I know you also want to engage on this issue, I'll give you a chance. Let's, let's get to the lines, though. We, we do want our listeners to engage on this topic. This is the reason why we're here, is to hear from you. Uh, Mokhosi calls in uh, from Kelvin in Johannesburg. Mokhosi, good morning. Dershing uh, and the minister, good morning. Um, Good morning. Good morning. Uh, Minister. And to the rest of the panel, I'm sure you mean. Uh, uh, earlier. And to the rest of the panel. <laughs> <laughs> uh, African countries are growing at, um, uh, at the rate of 6% GDP, especially the Eastern uh, uh, mm. community. In your opinion, are we exploring intra-regional African trade effectively? Secondly, why are we exporting so much of our natural resources to places like Europe and Asia instead of producing finished goods ourselves like coal and platinum? Um, mm. uh, for instance, you see uh, coal, for instance. Uh, why is Sasol not creating more plants in the country to supply this country with energy? Instead, we see Sasol going to America to help them with their energy problem. Uh, platinum as well. Let's leave it there with you. Uh, okay. Thank you very much for that call. We're going to have to ask you to be as brief as you can, uh, and not too many questions. Perhaps if you have one burning issue that you want to raise with us, uh, do so today. Stephen in Port Elizabeth, and then we'll take uh, Kaya and Hoffmeyer after that. Stephen, good morning. Uh, I, actually, I'm not Stephen, I'm Gift. Uh, and I oh, gift. Hi, minute. Gift. Go ahead. Yes. Look, look, Minister, I think I'm of the view that the social reforms and the radical changes of which you spoke about yesterday are unlikely to happen boldly without more coherence in government policy. Because to me, as you, as you know, we have four economic ministries with objectives and views that are not necessarily at, at one and as many as four economic policy documents. You talk about your NDP, your new growth path, your industrial policy plan action, your infrastructure plan. To me, and, and to, uh, because they are not necessarily aligned either. But lastly, Minister, I know for a fact that uh, you, had an in, you had an intervention as the treasurer in the Nelson Mandela municipality because I'm a resident there. I also went there. I want to find out from you whether that intervention is working because one of the issues that you raised was the fact that there must be good governance. Qualified people must be appointed in particular. Mm -hmm. 
senior positions like your chief financial officer, whether that process is effective and also whether reports that are getting are positive enough to ensure that uh, that innovation is again the most important Gift. Thanks for that call there. Gift and Porter is with Kaya in Hoffmeyer. Perhaps you'll heed my warning. As brief as you can, Kaya. Good morning. Good morning, Jason. Thanks for taking my call. Greetings to all the panelists, including the minister. Jason, I want to make one quick one. The first is that one that you said about the critics that are saying this government is looking more to people uh, who are in the main state of nourishment. I don't think that is entirely true. As the minister has as, 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 as dismissed that totally, I agree fully with the mm-hmm. minister to say you need to take care of the elderly in this country because they were marginalized before. I don't want to go back to history in terms of those that we feel that are benefiting. But what I want to commend the minister about session is the balance budget, is the fact that the minister has taken tune of what the president was saying the in, in innovation in terms of supporting those that are creating jobs for young people because some people are desperate looking for jobs and the minister yesterday brought back their confidence in committing this government financially towards that program. Thank you very much. Thanks very much for that call there, Kaya. Uh, let's deal with Mokhosi's uh, question first. Emerging market peers, Minister, just looking at Turkey, 8% growth, Nigeria, 7% growth. We're nowhere in the league of our emerging market peers. No, and, and let me compliment Mokhosi on, on, on an excellent set of questions, firstly. Secondly, I think each country has a different uh, dynamic. Many African countries are growing off a very low base. Many African countries, the emphasis of investment is in the resources area. And in Africa today, uh, the biggest uh, narrative is about how we industrialize, how we actually do what you're saying, which is don't just export natural resources, either agriculture or mineral resources, but add value to them on the African continent, create manufacturing capability, create jobs, improve skills, and so everything you say is, is, is work in progress, but needs to progress a little faster. Your, your point about uh, intra-regional trade, well, in, in the case of South Africa, we have some numbers yesterday, about 20-odd percent of our trade is now with the African continent, particularly in the manufactured area with SADC. Uh, but one of the constraints uh, on intra-African trade is the logistics system within Africa. So you'll see a lot of focus from heads of state on improving infrastructure investment. You you would have heard of the North-South Corridor, the Mm East-West Corridor, all of which is designed to improve logistics over the next 10 years or so. On on SASOL, I think it's a question that the SASOL management must come on radio and perhaps answer, but I think you have a fair challenge uh, for them. Gift, your your point about coherence in, in, in policy, I think under the banner of the NDP, we're getting closer to coherence. We do have, uh, as is normal in any democratic society, different views about how do you get growth and whether you can do it this way or the other way. And that discussion will, will continue. Some of us are willing to learn lessons uh, of recent history. Some are not. But I think from a government point of view, the next administration will have uh, a much more streamlined approach on, on this question. On Nelson Mandela Bay, Yes, we did, did intervene. I think on the level of qualified people, we might be making some progress. Uh, on some of the other issues, we have a long task list. Uh, as soon as I get over this budget process, I'll go back and see what progress we're making in that area. Uh, but I'm hoping that we can place this municipality on a different and better footing. Uh, Kaya, thank you for your comments. I think uh, your support uh, on the question of supporting our older people 
uh, and uh, support for people who are creating jobs is important. Uh, in the public narrative, uh, some people like to distinguish between incentive A and incentive B. They could look like all incentives bad are bad, whereas uh, their constituency is actually dependent on state incentives. And we, uh, in the motor industry, for example, have tens of billions of rands every year supporting a very important industry in South Africa, creating jobs, exporting cars, uh, developing skills in, in this particular area. And uh, we need to be mindful that incentives in every country and economy play an important part. On the question of the municipalities, you say we're doing more work there, but when we look at the division of the budget yesterday, nearly 91% of the budget goes towards national and provincial governments, 9% in the municipalities where they've been seeing the largest amount of service delivery protests, demands for water, demands for housing, demands for basic services to be provided, things that they've been waiting 20 years for, Minister, things like the bucket system to be eradicated, something we call a system, which is, and I've said this before, it's, it's a disgrace to label something like this a system. It robs the dignity of the individuals, of the public, of the people that we care about so much. Minister, do you think you've given enough to the municipalities? You see, municipal finance works on a different basis from provinces and national government. Municipalities in South Africa historically, and to a significant extent now, although not entirely, raise their own finances from property rates primarily and user charges. So most metros, for example, the vast part of their budget comes from their own resources. And so the division of revenue, which you've accurately put across, is premised on that basis. There are, however, certain rural municipalities and towns which find themselves in difficulty on the revenue question. There are also uh, issues of qualified staff in some of the municipalities, poor planning in municipalities, and again, if you look at the budget documentation, you'll find that there's all sorts of grants going to municipalities. In fact, 3.9 billion is allocated for capacity building programs over the next three-year period in order that municipalities do the things that need to be done to eradicate the problems that you actually speak of. There's a lot of other money that goes from departments that are, uh, have a, a national mandate, water, for example, uh, and, and that, those monies actually go directly to the ground in one form uh, or another as, as well. But I agree, more needs to be done, greater urgency needs to be applied. Uh, not all protests are about necessarily deficiencies in the system. Some of them are about raised expectations, as the President was saying, and others are about political squabbles no and uh, some form of mobilization or the other. So it's a complex environment, but the key is, I agree, People need to live in a dignified environment, and we must achieve that. Asif Mohammed, I know you've been waiting some time to engage in profile. I'll, I'll get you after this. Asif? You know, it's important that, you know, I comment on the, your, your nanny state, and I support the minister and his response and Prof. Kanter's response also. Um, a good example of the budget was in the case of, 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 of education, where the ministers increased allocation to 6.9 billion rand in the NISFIS National Students Financial Assistance Scheme. And it's a very good scheme and a very important scheme. And I think it's been having quite a lot of positive impact in, on, 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 on education and getting the right outcomes. But the most important thing, the way the scheme works, is that if you, you get a loan first, but if you pass, 40% get converted to a bursary. And in the final year, 100% gets converted to a bursary. So there's an element of what I call cost sharing. 
So it's not creating a nanny state in that instance. It's creating responsibility. If people want to educate themselves, the students want to educate themselves, they've got the opportunity uh, because National Students Financial Assistance Scheme is there for them to be able to do that. And I think here is an indication that, that government is moving in the right direction and getting the right outcomes to build a better society for the future. Prof? Yes, sir. I, the issue of municipalities, I think, again, competence, delivery, the right kinds of incentives uh, for the municipal officials and uh, the right kind of uh, tender process, uh, including on property, which I want to come back to. But I want to talk uh, a bit about balance. The budget's not balanced, as you pointed out. There's a difference between expenditure and revenue covered by borrowing. That's entirely uh, legitimate. But, of course, it does mean an interest bill. So you, if you borrow more, you've got to pay more interest. And, uh, but the encouraging sign is uh, that the borrowing may be directed towards uh, c- capital expenditure, infrastructure, uh, rather than paying uh, people who work for the government. So a move from consumption spending to investment spending, capital formation by the government, would certainly justify borrowing. The issue then is, how do we get the best out of that infrastructure spend? How do we manage it? And yeah, an example of ESCOM and Madupi, I think you can manage it a whole lot better by involving business, the private sector, in the delivery of, of, of projects. So, so that may need a, a paradigm shift. The efficient way to, d- to deliver infrastructure is to involve private sector as, as uh, providers uh, and the government as, in part, a funder or a, a guarantee of finance. An example of how it's worked well is with these new uh, energy schemes, uh, renewable energy. They, that's a private-public partnership. So I think we need a whole lot more of that. We certainly do need the infrastructure to make the economy more efficient. And on that, maybe a little bit of a brick-back brick for the Minister. If you look at our budgets, and I'm looking at our real public sector investment spending, figure 1.1, there was good growth between 2005-06 and 2008-09. The, the current spend is now higher than it was in 2008-09. What will we spend the money on? More on consumption. So that's the challenge. The challenge is to get more of the budget into income-producing uh, assets. And how, and how do we do that? How do we get good delivery? Private-public partnerships. In the last few minutes, I want to just wrap up with my guests, but also just challenge you on, on what you think South Africans should be doing with the budget right now. Following the Minister's speech yesterday, what should we be doing? What action should we be taking? What should we be noticing? And you talked about consumption, Prof. I want to talk about saving, because the Minister mentioned that yesterday. A key for us, he says, is that if you won't save, we'll force you to save. We'll save for you. Well, that's the nanny state, isn't it? <laughs> force you to save. Well, maybe it's good for you, but the government's telling you we'll force you to save. Well, we do need more savings. There's no doubt, There's no doubt about that. Asif Mohammed, your take on this? You know, I think we do need more savings, and, and it's important that we do that. That um, and, and the retirement fund reform that government has proposed, especially with its last paper, to reduce costs and to make it a lot easier for people to save, I think will make South Africa probably one of the best in retirement fund savings if we implement it efficiently and effectively and we do it as soon as possible and treat it with the urgency that it deserves. 
But overall, you know, I think it's a very good budget, and I, I like what the minister has done, and it's a basis to build on the NDP and to execute, execute on the NDP going forward. Minister, how far are those discussions with the industry uh, to help us save? Well, uh, there's more work to do. Uh, I think we have agreements in principle, and the word force mustn't be misconstrued. There are countries like Singapore, for example, when I last heard, and there are many others, would say uh, X percentage of your salary goes into a fund. That fund is for your retirement. And when we, if you don't want a so-called nanny state, then we need to encourage retirement saving so that when you retire, you have your own money available. So what we're talking about uh, is certainly what we call mandation or mandatory savings, which the industry is also uh, looking forward to, so that they will make more money out of this as, as, as well at the end of the day. But the key here... Is, 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 the, is the question of charges and the development of a culture of saving. To go back to the prof quickly, uh, we, we are, as he correctly points out, and not quite a brickbat, um, beginning to move to a position where current expenditure is uh, moving to a point where there's less consumption involved. In fact, there's a net movement towards capital expenditure. That's the first point. The second point, he says, get the private sector involved. It is the private sector that's implementing Madupi. It's private sector firms, Alstom, etc., etc., who are responsible for hiring welders, for making sure that the welding should be done properly, that didn't quite do it properly. Um, so it's Eskom that designs the specs, but it's the private sector companies that actually deliver. Some get it right and, and do very well. Others get most right, and sometimes some of these uh, things go wrong. But we fully agree that we need to move generally as a society away from consumption to saving, and in government from consumption to capital expenditure. Ramiz Flowers, uh, your final word on the topic today? Um, just an issue on the savings. Um, I think we, um, what we get, what's more important about savings is also the access to credit in the markets. I think it's people can access credit too easily, and especially low-income communities. And, and it's not only just the culture, but also it's private firms, it shouldn't only be about profit for them, it should, be, should also be about um, not so profit-taking and e economic growth, but also in, in, in inclusivity. Mm. Ramiz Flowers, thanks for joining us. Thank you. And I'm employed economics graduate, uh, Professor Kantur from Investec, Asif Mohammed from Aon Investment, Minister of Finance. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, I've got some scores for you. I don't know if you're interested in these. Uh, this comes in from Comrade Han says, Minister, I give you 7 out of 10. My request is that different tax rates be used on pension funds as yearly increases don't cover inflation. Uh, this comes in unsigned. Thumbs down for you, Minister, for the 20 cent increase on the petrol tax. How can that be justified on top of the already hefty petrol price and the e-tolls? Uh, clearly a Joburg writer here. Uh, Ricky in Durban says, uh, good morning, Minister. Nine out of ten for you. Well done. Uh, Bongo in KZN, very impressed with you, Minister. Praveen Gordon's speech, uh, as always. Wasn't too happy with the whiskey price, though, he says. Uh, <laughs> but they had to do it, I guess, he says, uh, Bongo there. Uh, generally, good marks for you. Don in Cape Town gives you an A. He says, uh, very good. 
but why such a lousy increase for pensioners? Done there. Well, we can't make everyone happy, but he tried. Uh, 34701, always appreciate your comments on the show. To my panelists again today, thank you very much for joining us uh, this morning. It's been a great pleasure to engage with you and engaging with you and the nation today. I hope we did you justice. If you have any comments, questions, things that you'd like us to take forward on the forum at H, you can write those into us. AM Live on SAFM, our Twitter and Facebook handle, uh, SMS is 34701. Email AM Live on SAFM. My name is Darshan Mudley. Thank you very much for joining me today. Uh, we'll do it again with you tomorrow, 6 to 9 a.m.